0: Welcome Wheatland family and friends thanks so much for joining us. You are listening again to Cross Reference a new podcast that we have started here at Wheatland. I'm Luke LaDuke senior pastor and I am joined once again this week by Dr. Dan Spanger a professor of history at Lancaster Bible College and also an elder in our church and I am Excited again to dig a little bit more deeply into the sermon this week with Dan. There are always loose threads hanging from sermons that I deliver, and Dan is kind enough to pull at those and ask some great questions, and I always enjoy our conversations. And today we are discussing the sermon series in our Parable of the Prodigal Son, from this past sunday march 7th entitled a solution in today's episode we continue to wrestle with the question i raised about the younger son's motives was this repentance or was it problem solving was it sincere or was it manipulative in this episode dan asked some really helpful questions about repentance that opens into some deeper reflection and application We talk about hunger and its role in our lives, both physically and spiritually, and we even reflect on the relationship between famine, hunger, and our current experience as a church during this global pandemic. I'm always learning something in our time together. I hope you find it enriching too. Thanks for coming along.
1: Hello, Whitlam family. Um, Welcome back. At some point, uh, Pastor Luke, after about 50 of these, we'll stop saying welcome back. That's right. Um, It's just just sort of what we do every week. Uh, We'll find another
0: conversation that we keep. Yeah,
1: the conversation just always going. So when the mic turns off, Pastor Luke and I are still talking. And then at some point, the mic gets turned back on. And we just keep going. So you can't shut us up. And maybe that's the problem with having a professor and a pastor in a conversation.
0: Oh, man. The professor and pastor podcast. Podcast. Oh, no.
1: (laughs) Two people in the world that just don't shut up. Um, Appreciated this. Again, like I think, you know, the sermon that you're walking us through this parable again, which I think I speak for other people in the congregation that did think there's a lot, there's a lot of Sundays here for a single parable. But um, I think you're introducing us here to some things that are, I can see why you slowed down and want to do this. Um, The one, the one, I think it was from the middle of your sermon this Sunday that caught me. um, And I guess as an evangelical growing up where I have, it seems the way I was taught was repentance is the goal just for the sake of being repentant.
2: Mm.
1: And I, when you were talking and I have this one quote from you that said that what is repentance about without reconciliation with the father? I, I, I think I paused after I wrote that and thought, yeah, I, I think I've, I think I have the habit of turning repentance into the goal Mm. um so we we come with this we everything pride is the problem so humility is the solution so i've been proud now i'm humble and that's done but you're saying this parable is telling us that that's not that's not enough
0: yeah no i think that's a great that's a great question that you've asked about repentance because i think i am pointing at that but like going back to your idea that you know growing up in evangelicalism but i think like with our kids that's sort of what we do, isn't it? Um, If (laughs) every one of us, whether we have kids or not, whether we were a kid and somebody said, say, I'm sorry, you know, um, or you do it with your kids. Now you tell your sister you're sorry or whatever you might do. Like we've all done that because we just knew that had to be done. Like that was something that was really important. But yeah, did that bring about reconciliation in right. that circumstance? I can think of it like 90% of the time, at least for me, where that's not how it works, either personally or when I'm foisting that on my own kids. Right. But yeah, I think that brings up a good question then. So what is repentance for? And it, it feels like it feels like to me that what we're seeing in the story is this process that won't allow us to just be formulaic mm. with um, confession and repentance and reconciliation or restoration. Mm. Um, and I think when we, when we stop back, when we step back rather, and try not to decide exactly when in the story this happened or when in the story that happened, but begin to see all of it together, um, ending in, uh, as it will end for us, not this Sunday, but the next Sunday, um, this feast. It seems like when we can see it as a process, we become less concerned about at which point the, we actually can pin the, uh, full restoration Mm. or or you know pin certain motives Mm. during the confession and rather see this whole story is a story from the beginning of restoration and and i think it helps to go back to to look at earlier to the two parables that this is set as the third and final in where the focus is on let's see the shepherd who's going out seeking his sheep and the the woman who's seeking her coin, and now the father who is seeking his son. But um, yeah, this idea of repentance leading to restoration or reconciliation, I think that's the big idea to get. And I think, at one sense, I, I'm open to people like questioning, well, how can you say it at this point, he's really not repentant because mm-hmm. i think it's a process it's not just a step-by-step um step-by-step uh, plan that gets unfolded and if you do this and then this and then this then you arrive at this
1: well and there's, and there's another component there that I, I find intriguing You're right okay so right so there's not the minute you repent that's sort of the conversion tactic right you mm-hmm. come you say the word you repent so we've got the yeah. conversion happening here Um, And there's some issue with, you know, you saying, and I think we've all wrestling with you're telling us that when he when he decides to go back to his father, this is self assertion, not
2: Mm, mm -hmm. an
1: actual sincere repentance. And we could talk about that. But but the idea, too, that it's, it's always been sort of even in my mind that it's when you finally come in humility and say sin is my problem. And now I'm repenting of that sin that it's done. You know, and so I've I've found the requisite humility I'm supposed to have, um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I've, I've that that I think sometimes that feels like to me the stopping point, which right. I, I guess as you say it really is artificial. I mean, even even if I repent to my father or someone, I hope that there's a relationship on the other end of that. Right. I don't know if with God I often feel that. I think I often feel my job's to repent, and that's done now. Right. But that has to go somewhere. So I mean, I mean, I, what you were saying it seemed to me you could repent. And actually, use that as an example of self-will than actually an effort to be back in a loving relationship with your father. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I think I, I think I think that's exactly the way I've been feeling and reading this story, is that what the father has in mind, and I, I think I said this in a couple different ways in the sermon, but what the father has in mind is just so much bigger than the imagination or hope or faith that the younger son has for how this story will end. And and I think that's why, like, so that's where I'm, you know, at one level, I know I said what I said, and I believe what I said about the younger son here has no um, idea of, of restoration, and I think that's true. But I think where we could sort of dig down into the underneath of that is just to ask, why didn't he imagine that that why, why wasn't he um, working towards restoration? And it could have been because he just had no way of believing that it was possible. Mm-hmm. Like there are other explanations mm-hmm. for you can say that he wasn't wanting restoration. And I, I can agree with that. But that doesn't mean that that's not really what he wanted. It's just that he didn't even think that that was uh, within the realm of possibility in a sense. Hmm. So that like, if you told me I could have had a pink unicorn for a pet, maybe I would have wanted that, but I didn't know that that that's for
1: a dog instead.
0: Yeah, exactly. But I didn't know that was a possibility. And I think there might be something of that here as well, that helps temper um, temper our need to preserve for this younger son, some measure of pure motives in, in what he's doing and turning back to the father's house.
1: So, okay, okay. So maybe here's a way to look at it is to say, this is not an opportunity to judge the son as it is to challenge our own imagination. Yeah. So I, I think of when you were saying that, I think I wrote down, this sounds like pearl and field type stuff. Like, mm. you know, if you found the pearl, if if this is true, and I think most of us in our human side have a very difficult time imagining that God loves us this way. Yeah. So it's I'm just I'll be happy to have the field done. I can grow my crops and my beans and that's fine, but Jesus seems to be saying you're you're not imagining enough out of this, right? You should want the pearl. You should not be satisfied. So yeah. is that is that a way of looking at the sun here is it It's not it's not that we're judging him. We're we're trying to say our imaginations as small as his is.
0: Exactly. And I think that in the end is even more succinctly and perhaps even more compelling than how it came off in the sermon and as i think about it like as a pastor and counseling um, our people um, i find this over and over again it's it's like there are there are two ways to navigate the world and both of them are ditches in one sense on either side but the one is that everyone loves me and i can't imagine anybody would have any trouble <laughs> With anything I say, and and we've met those. I know people. that's
1: where you are, Luke. Yeah, exactly. That's your what, ditch.
0: What's your problem, <laughs> people? But but the but the other one, and I see this over and over, Dan. And I know you, as you you work with students, and I'm sure that uh, people trying to pass one of your history courses have existential <laughs> crises coming into your office. And I ensure
1: you, that that's the case. Yes, I do this
0: help them. Down. But but the other side is this fundamental inability to believe that we can be loved by God or another person. Hmm. And I think that that is, again, you have to be really careful about psychologizing the scripture. So I'm not, I wouldn't get up and preach that this is what's going on in the mind and heart sure. of this young man. But man, when I spend time over and over in my own life, in, in my people's lives, I see that there is this something striking and profound to this idea that we have no imagination for how the Father really loves us and and what that means for extending love to each other. And I'm not good at that, I just think that I can see how that could be true, (laughs) just barely getting shadowy glimpses of it, if that makes sense.
1: No, I think it does. And I think it captures, I, you, you said, you said at the beginning of this whole series that, and this goes back to, I think, you know, if, uh, one look as a friend of mine said about, and we talked about this, the, the parable of the sower is that the soil is what makes the difference. The seed's the same. Mm, right. And so what's my soil like when I come to this parable? And I, I've been asking myself since that, since you, you, you talked that way at the beginning of this, it's the heart of the listener. Yeah. And my, and I can see my heart very stumbling into agreeing with the younger son, because I'm saying, geez, I don't want to be spiritually hungry anymore either. Um, I can see myself, you know, misunderstanding this because my soil doesn't want, I don't want in my heart to know that that's even possible. But Mm -hmm. I, but I think to what you said in the beginning, do I have to check my soil here and say, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I need to be open to the possibility that this is actually, God is not satisfied with me saying I will go be a servant in my father's house. Yeah. And and I think that's been a reflection on my if my heart is okay with that, and I'm less judgmental of the son here than I am to say I empathize with him and I'm okay to be a servant in the house. Is that right? That's a soil problem here, right? I mean, my heart's not right.
0: Right. Yeah, that's interesting that you could you could be very happy to settle with something that seems like a really fine arrangement. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I think that's right. It's sort of like this is some fertilizer that we need <laughs> in these days to condition our soil. We really stretch that analogy. Yeah, we we
1: can really keep going. Yeah. <laughs> we'll gow, <laughs> kill it if we want.
0: Yeah, but that's helpful. I think that's really helpful.
1: I want to jump into something else you said that I had never heard before. And I, I'm okay in saying that because I, I sure. haven't heard lots of things. But yeah. um, I often think, oh, I've been through seminary. And I should hear these sorts of things before. But I had not heard the voice of Pharaoh in the mouth of the young son before out of Exodus 10. I actually, when you said it, and I wasn't disbelieving you, but I had to open my computer <laughs> to read it just to be sure I understood what was going on. Um, and I'm sure the translation from Hebrew to Greek here, maybe it's out of Septuagint. Yeah. The wording is very similar. I'm not sure. But it does look very parallel. Un- unpack why, why that's really all that important.
0: Yeah, no. And I, I must admit that I had never seen that until this guy, Kenneth Bailey, that I've mentioned a couple times that I found really interesting and helpful, pointed it out in, in the book. Um, and he just pointed out that this is a rehearsed speech that um, has been used before. But it got me to thinking um, about the context in which it was used. So I went back to Exodus and I was looking around there and poking around that passage in Exodus Exodus and it just became more profound and convincing to me that this was important because of the very fact that this is a parable, right? Hmm. So it's not like Jesus had to deal with what some character actually said, and and we have to make sense of it. No, we can put all that aside and say, okay, Jesus is making up a story for these people who are upset that Jesus eats with sinners, and he's making up a story, and he's grabbing words and phrases from what they know so very well, Hmm. and telling it in a way that they can understand it. And when I began to think about the fact that, oh, you're right, like, and, and I think parenthetically, that's something we always have to keep coming back to as we're walking through this. This is a story and it's meant to sort of be gaudy, if that hmm. makes sense. You know how if, if there's a real story, it's not nearly as neat and tidy. you got to
1: embellish it.
0: Right. But because this is, this is a, I don't want to call it a fake story, but you understand what I mean, that Jesus devised this mm-hmm. in order to make a very big point. It'd be like, um, I don't know, he can, he can put pink hats on all the girls and blue hats on all the, the he can use all the stereotypes that he wants to use hmm. because this is a story that he's making up. So he grabs the stereotypical um, insincere uh, person who has exalted themselves against God's authority, uh, from the whole old Testament in, hmm. in Pharaoh. and so that just began to help me help Bailey's point that the son has not yet sincerely repented at this point because of that fact. Hmm. And uh, for me, that was helpful.
1: Well, and i and I, I think this actually goes to something you told us a, quite a while ago when you were looking at exodus and you've you've said to us that this is the the founding metaphor story of the entire Christian story. So for Jesus to go yeah. back to that, he's, mm-hmm. he's doing something uh, uh, typical. I mean, he's trying to find a type of a person who would reject. So Pharaoh is real, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you have a type of a denier or a type of a person that right. maybe self-will is a thing. But I think what I heard from you on Sunday, was well, someone that's willing to pragmatically pass a deal with God exactly. to get what he wants out of it. And I think yeah. so, so, it's historical, but it is actually paradigmatic or typical, like.
0: Yeah, it's just beautiful. And like you've said, Exodus is the great narrative for Israel. Um, These leaders know that story and they know how it works and they've used it in their own self-understanding and, and for their current situation and for their future history. I mean, they've, they've got all of it uh, right there at their fingertips and, and, even as I went back and was reading around, uh, what's going on at this point in the Exodus, it was interesting to me that this, these are the words of Pharaoh and Bailey doesn't get into this. This is me carrying things way further than the teacher, (laughs) like a bad, a bad disciple. Uh, but, um, he, the the context is the locust, which to me is so interesting because, you know, what Pharaoh's in the face of a plague, I don't know. I remember when I was doing that Exodus series, and I got down a rabbit hole in YouTube about locust plagues. And <laughs> I mean, you can watch some pretty crazy stuff about the way locusts yeah. come and devour. I mean, they've got this on you know videos of even modern day happenings yeah. of it. But I mean, it is. If you were suffering from a plague of locusts, you would be deathly afraid about starvation. Yeah. I mean, that's just yeah. the reality of it. So it was just interesting um, that that was the context. It was it within not just any of the plagues, but in the plague of locusts that he mm-hmm. also says it. Now, I know some people don't like stretching things that thin, and I wouldn't hang my hat on it, but it's at least food for thought, no pun intended.
1: Well, this goes back to the way you started the sermon, which was that, you know, we as people, so it's another layer of this, uh, you know, However, we understand the sun here of being pragmatic, and I, mm-hmm. I, I think that's true. I, you know, I, I resonate with that because I want to solve problems. But I think even at a deeper level, solving a problem means not just like making things more efficient, um, but it could be an existential problem. And I, and I think if we're talking parable here, we're seeing food represent a deeper spiritual hunger. Uh, you know, I think Jesus is always very is using metaphor like food, obviously mm-hmm. and bread of life and, and bread and, and living water and water. Yeah. That there's a spiritual depravity here that we're feeling. and so there is this pragmatic sense in which if I can if I can get this guilt off my back spiritually, if I can if I can relieve myself of this, that's really the only goal I'm after. I just I need to yeah. get this pain off my back, get food back in my belly, mm-hmm. and not feel so lost. So I think you you've dealt with this sun in lots of different ways, and I know and I, I don't and you could tell me whether you're correcting, there was this sense almost Sunday that the, the sun was being somewhat insincere. You, you seem to be saying, it might be a progression, like yeah. this is how he's progressively coming back to the father. But there is some—if we're taking this right—and it's Pharaoh, mm-hmm. and he's being pragmatic. There is some insincerity here. Do you think that's what's going yeah, on? I,
0: I think <laughs> he was sincerely insincere. Is that okay. a thing?
1: Because, <laughs> political answer? I would expect any politician yeah, exactly. to
0: exactly. Like that. That's right. No, but there is a sense in which uh, he's dying of— st- I mean, he's in in danger of starving to death. Right. So. He is sincere that that needs to be taken care of. And uh, the story says that no one gave him anything. So, I mean, he is is sensing that. But, yeah, I think that rather than majoring on the insincerity of the son, mm. which is almost difficult to... Um, You know, I get why this feels foreign, Mm -hmm. um, and why you would have a hard time saying, Yes, the son is insincere in this moment, but rather than focusing on that, what if the point is to see that this is um a point in the progression of coming from self-will, self-worship, refusal to worship and acknowledge the father to being embraced by the Father and restored to what, mm-hmm. to, to where you ought to have been all along. So it's almost as if, you know, um, I've I've been thinking of it as a mercy because of the way in which all of our best works and motives are always shot through with so many um, different layers of. <laughs> sin, everything we touch is tainted. I mean, mm. are there any pure motives in us? Mm. Mm. And, and so this is a progression that we're seeing God bring someone on. And I think I find that really helpful so that I don't have to hang my hat on my pure as the driven snow motives in every mm. situation. But if there is, as you've talked about, that humility then God is faithful to overwhelm that Hmm. with his kindness and his love. I think you said something maybe uh, in the last podcast that I actually was really helpful to me as I was writing last week's sermon, and this idea that you have this um, whole spectrum between the younger son and the older son, and that you know, at one point you see yourself here and at another point you see yourself over here and, and at every point in between. Hmm. And I that, said, could I could it be, Luke, and I, and
1: I want to go back to something you said at the beginning of the sermon, which I really, I, I know you were tying it into Lent, mm-hmm. um, but as I, as I got to the end of the sermon, I went back and revisited what you're saying at the beginning. Would it, would it be safe to say that his hunger was real? but yeah. he didn't know what his hunger actually was. Yeah. Like he thought his hunger was just for food, which, yeah. and that's good. And I think if I'm hearing you right to say, yes, allow that to actually draw in you a need to repent. So that's a good thing.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: ultimately he thought his hunger was just food. Yeah. Is that, cause I know you, this is how you started talking about what hunger can do. Is that, is uh, that fair?
0: Yeah. And I think, I think that is precisely the progression that we see—it's—it's mm. it's almost as if there's one way to read the story as a story on what hunger really is for. Mm. Um, mm. What if you could—you know—we talked about uh, in that first sermon about how important titles are to the way we read a story. Right. right. So if we were just for fun to say this is a story about what hunger is for. Yeah, I think you could definitely say that, is that you see this hunger starts here, but it it, it can't end there, hmm. that it's going all the way to this feast. And hmm. uh, of course, here, now I want to do some, some of this whole biblical theological from fasting to feasting. and Something but,
1: you never talk about,
0: Luke. Yeah, so, I know. It's just, unfamiliar to you. Exactly. But I do love that idea that our hunger is training us that Life is more than just physical. And I mean, this is what's fascinated me about hunger for a long time. And that's why I always t- talk about it is that, um, you know, I've talked about it in a hundred different ways, but there is no way that hunger is simply a physical urge. Um, God created, okay, I know I'm doing my, sh- my shtick again here. But what does it mean that God created Adam and Eve in their innocence as hungry people?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That their eating was a spiritual endeavor, and I guess we confess this at the end of the day uh, in our in our sacrament of the Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. is that this eating is physical and yet it is in no way simply physical, mm-hmm. and that's the way our hunger is. And I love how you've described it: is that it. Trains our desires to not be satisfied simply with the hmm. physical, but to long for the spiritual gifts that our Father gives us in life.
1: Hmm. Well, to your point, I mean, if you follow the story along, um, the Father doesn't show His love without feast. Mm. Um, so, mm-hmm. in a sense, you know, it's either it's either the best way to the feast was through the Father, or. Yeah you know, what you really wanted was love with the father, which now comes in its fullness through a feast. I mean, right. I mean, it, right. it's two ways to look at it. And he's yeah. obviously teaching us to look at it a certain but, way here.
0: And, and in a sense, you know, I think in the sermon this Sunday, Oh, I got to stretch it. It's like, I got to, uh, do something with this soup. Cause I've only got two verses <laughs> to deal with this Sunday. Stone so,
1: soup is running out of seasoning. <laughs> yeah.
0: I got to stretch this bad boy, but, um, basically the point I'm going to make is that the father's actions in coming to him, and we'll talk a little bit about what it means that his father comes to him while he's a long way off and his father saw mm-hmm. passion and ran and embraced all of this stuff. Um, but, but the idea that the father doesn't, that the story doesn't end there is exactly what you've said that after all of this fasting, there had to be, this feast that the Father puts together in a matter of moments, uh, with a, and that's the, the following week. But um, yeah, it can't end with simply, uh, okay, we've kissed and made up, hmm. but that the way we know that we have been brought in is through a very physical thing that actually meets the thing that you thought you wanted, but in a totally different way. So uh,
1: I'll, th- this carries me to one of the things you concluded with was um, which now correct me if I'm wrong. I, I understand how it ends this way, but I think you are looking through possibly what Christ has said in other places to pull this out. Um, you said something to the effect that Christ, that God never ceases to pursue us
2: mm-hmm. into
1: relationship, um, which I think if you're, maybe you're thinking multidimensionally here that God is providentially bringing the son to ruin so that he'll come back. Is that, is that, yeah, how we look at this because I think what you've been saying all the while is yeah. it's not just that the son randomly comes to this conclusion, but somehow this yeah. is God's good mercy, yeah, to draw the son back into this
0: moment. I think I'm playing off of my growing sense of the reality of God's judgment for his children as well. That idea, so you, you might have heard in the sermon that, um, I, I, I kind of hinted at a couple of times that. While the son, yes, in our sermon from uh, when I preached two weeks ago, did try to say his father was dead. There was never any sense in which the father quit being a father to the son. Hmm. So that like no matter what the kid was trying to do with his give me my money, you're dead to me, kind of all of that stuff. All of that had not one um, shade of matter to the father's commitment to be the father throughout Mm. the whole situation. Mm. And and it reminds me so much of Israel's story, I think. So that when um, God is judging his children, he almost always gives them what they demand. Mm. And when he gives them what they demand, they wind up in the most outrageous and impossible places. Mm. And so you see Israel, um, Adam and Eve demand the fruit. They go into exile. Um, Israel demands meat. And just, I, I don't want to walk through but you you have an imagination to say, oh, yes, of course, at every point they want a king like the other nations. And so what does right. he give them? He gives them a king with all of the taxes, all of the manipulations, all of the um, awful things that that can go wrong Mm. when you have a human, so it it goes on and on, Um, and I think that's what we see here, Uh, so when you, so when I think of the father uh, bringing his son to this point purposely, he does it by giving the son precisely what he demanded Mm. in verse 11, the share of his property, but through all that, he doesn't give up on his son. Hmm. He continues to be his father. He just uh, like I can see where I might if Basil comes to me and says, "Give me what's well." First of all, good <laughs> luck, buddy. But um, <laughs> there ain't a lot there. That that won't get
1: him all the parties you talked about.
0: Yeah, that's right, exactly. But. Uh, but I, I could see myself saying okay fine take it you little brat and don't ever <laughs> talk to me again that sort of thing but this is that sort of different father that is letting letting his child have what they demand in order to bring them all the way through and to the end of all of that in order to give them what he wanted to give them from the beginning
2: mm-hmm.
0: which was a which was this rich sonship and and a home in the father's house and and a feast one of the things i'm getting from this which i appreciate is i think we take things
1: like parables and we can reduce them down into you know moralisms you know so you know so repent or whatever but i think what you're helping with not only is, is trying to read the parable from the perspective in which it was written so we understand where the true values and probably like what's the actual problem with the sun is different if you're reading it from an eastern mindset than our own yeah and i think it's this other piece too that we we have to see jesus you know, statement or what he's trying to communicate inside a larger historical narrative. He's not talking, he's not just grabbing someone on the street and saying, let me give you a moral parable about how to repent. He's talking to Israel in this long history of Mm -hmm. trying to get what it wants rather than turning back to the father. And it's almost this culmination in Jesus of all of this, all of things that's happened with Israel to now, which I think then helps us look at it better rather than just moralizing it. It's how God is loving his people and how we're A part of that story.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a such a helpful thing to be able to sort of pull back and to see the grander and more glorious um, underpinnings of Mm. of this parable, which to me is just, you know, as we said at the beginning, is this father whose love never stops for Mm. his children, and it's just a glorious is, that's not it's, you know what you're saying
1: this is the way we need to read the old testament right because i yeah. think mm. i think for the jew i was just doing this with students in a class and we are trying to say what's the difference in, you know judaism and i was trying to come up with a way to explain i said because we both believe in the torah being the starting point but when you think about it jews always want to go from the historical prophetic books back to torah mm. and what jesus reads is actually torah is the starting point that's supposed to point us forward out of that and so for the jew He has to be told that actually everything you've been doing to get back to Torah is not right. This has been God's story, not yours about getting you from the law finally back to a relationship. It's got to reverse the whole way you look at, you know, how you interact and how we've interacted with God. And I I think the way you're talking about it's helping me see that that's, closer to what jesus is doing here he's trying to reframe the way they look at their relationship with god so Mm -hmm. i think i think that's and it it, it's it's helpful to read the parables that way because it just becomes as you say it becomes part of a much bigger story and what god is doing with his people to whom we belong
0: yeah and and i think it honestly has something to say to us in our contemporary moments as well not that you can draw straight lines from this Mm -hmm. to a pandemic or anything like that but as I alluded to earlier, that deep question that many of us are asking um, about whether we are truly and deeply loved, mm. and whether we can truly and deeply love someone else, mm. um, I think I think all of this uh, has something to help us reframe our posture towards one another in these days, because that is ultimately what I think we are finding very, very difficult in the crush and in the press of what is our cultural moment right now.
1: Mm-hmm. So is this, and let's take it back into Lent where you had us going, is this the time for us to reframe hunger then? Because I think we've all felt hunger and we all just want to alleviate it. We just want to get back together and get back right, to normal. Right. But I think what you're asking us to do here is to ask will hunger help to clarify what you two things identity and need were the two things you said how, how can we Luke in this moment allow hunger to do its job to do its work yeah. to help us really you know clarify our identity and our need
0: yeah I think I think there's a couple of things that I've been doing in 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 Lent that are not perfect but have tried to help me answer that question and that is to um experience real hunger hmm. not and, and again I'm not I'm the last guy to get up and and make rules about this is how you, you must be doing that that's not it at all but I'm just saying for for myself personally to experience real hunger through a real fast of some sort I don't care how long how how you do that but to create a situation for myself in which I am really experiencing hunger That I might then offer that as a clarifying a prayer for God to be clarifying in me what are the ways in which I have not been hungering for the right things. It's very clear to me in my hunger what I want. Mm -hmm. Um, But what if what if what I've been wanting in my hunger is not the right things? Mm -hmm. And I think experiencing hunger rather than simply rushing to satisfaction. And OK, I'm going to tip my hat here. Even just giving up a thing or two for Lent, I think experiencing hunger is a different animal than just giving up um, sweets for Lent, or, which is all good. And and you can experience hunger in that for mm-hmm. something. But I think experiencing hunger for something and then replacing it with, I don't know, sugar-free ice cream <laughs> is not the same thing as experiencing real hunger as an acknowledgement that I am a hungry person and I know I have not always been hungry for the gifts that God intends to give me. I've been hungry after things that I want to spend and and consume for my own good and not for the uh, out of love and sacrifice for this one who has given himself for me and for one another so that's one thing that i've been doing is to take it as if hunger clarifies is which Hmm. is what i was arguing and i was trying to argue from the parable then i want to invite that sort of clarity in my Hmm. own life Hmm. um and then one other thing is is that in my hunger And I'm coming back to this over and over, Dan, myself, is that I am truly loved by a father who meets that hunger with his gifts. And and that's been an interesting, um, to find myself, even in difficult places, to be someone who is being fed, to not just feel the hunger, but to experience the satisfaction and know that every good gift comes from the fatherly hand of God to me.
1: Is that and is that a way too too because I think self-imposed hunger is, you know, one of these recommended spiritual disciplines. And there are these non-self imposed. And I think COVID's been one of those for a lot of us. Yeah. We felt hungry. And I know there's some tension in the church and sure. you know, how are these things going to be resolved? Um sure. But in one way, could we see that as a moment of forced hunger? And are we actually taking that as an opportunity to point us back to God? Or are we just trying to alleviate the hunger? We just, we just want to get out of it and back to normal which is fine. I, I think we all do, but
0: yeah, we do. We but, do. There,
1: but the son didn't, I mean, he did in one sense, but he didn't impose the famine. The famine happened to the land. Right. Um, exactly. and, and maybe there's something been imposed on us and we have yeah. an opportunity to say, does this now clarify who right. we are? And to clarify our actual need is not just to go back to normal, but it's, relationship is what God has called us to. And do we have that clarified for this? Is that a a fair way of using this parable even in this moment?
0: No, that's a lovely way to consider it. And and I think one of the things that when people ask me, so everyone says, oh man, when they, if I'm talking to somebody, they're saying, oh man, it must have been a really hard year for you as a pastor, because you've got all these different ideas. And, uh, you know, we all know, what those ideas are and how they get expressed and not everyone is is gracious in expressing them, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I want to say in one sense, it has been hard, but honestly, I have been, I've never been so convinced of anything as I have been convinced that this is actually going to be really good for the church in the end. And I don't even know exactly what that means in in all of its fullness. And I know that it means we're not going to have navigated this as perfectly as we would have liked to have. We're going to look back and we're going to see mistakes that we've made and we're going to see um, uh, places that we should have gone slower or gone faster or been, been this or been that. And I'm open to all of that. But what I'm deeply convinced of, as you pointed out, is that this is a time where we are, have had sort of this forced uh, uh, famine in Mm. a sense. And what is more important than what we have, um, what we're experiencing, which is real loss and and brother, I know it um, is actually how we are responding and where we are looking to have our selves comforted, if that makes sense, how we are looking to solve the problem of what we're missing. So one of the things, you know, it's interesting you bring this up because this morning I spent um, a bit of time writing something for our worship service this Sunday, which is something, it's just a little, I'm calling it lament and thanksgiving because, you know, Sunday is March Fourteenth, I think, and it was March fifteenth of last year that right. Wheatland did not meet. So it's it's a one year since this pandemic uh, became localized and 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 really disrupted our lives here hmm. in a significant and ongoing way. Hmm. And I think uh, probably if I'm going to um, you know be open about a place that I feel like I could have done better as a leader in this time is what we're doing on Sunday is just have these, some corporate laments and corporate thanksgivings Hmm. that name, the places that we have really been hurting because of this. And I I don't have them in front of me, but we'll see them on Sunday, but places like we've lost, uh, we, we, um, lament the fact that we have lost face-to-face, in-person fellowship and the sort of human touch that we were created for. Hmm. And we name that and we lament that. And, and I've got seven of those and then seven things that we're thankful for, hmm. thanksgivings. And just to begin to put these together, because I think, I know, long-winded, sorry, bro. But in the end, what I'm saying, what I've missed, and what I think we need to be doing better at, is putting into perspective what we've experienced through lament and through Thanksgiving together as a family. Mm. Because I feel like there's a sense in which you've got, again, I'm painting with a broad brush. Two, There's two sorts of responses that you could give. You could give a response that is all lament and no thanksgiving. Mm. Or you could respond to this with, sort of like all Thanksgiving, and it sounds like some Pollyanna optimist, that's just like, that's nauseating because here's how I've suffered in my family. Mm-hmm. But I think bringing these two together um, as a family on this one year anniversary of at least our own sort of uh, acute sense of, what, of, of the pandemic in, in Lancaster and in our fellowship is sort of a way that I want us to take a step forward towards processing it all Hmm. a little better and, and a little more openly and together with Hmm. both things held together, lament and Thanksgiving, because these are the biblical, these are the Psalmist's (laughs) approach to difficulty. Hmm. And um, it doesn't answer all of the problems that we all have with, with this or that, but it does allow us to hear and take up on our lips together. Both, both of these at once. Right.
1: Well, and that's where the, I think the parable becomes very real for us. It's not just a moral story. It's a lived experience that we, I think in that light, we really live out pretty much this younger son frequently. We, we see pain and we just want it ended. We see difficulty, we want it over. Um, and of course we do. And that's a good thing. Um, yeah. But for, to what end? I think this goes back to the question we started with. So what's repentance for exactly? Um, it's a good and wonderful thing. But yeah. in our hearts, do we need to really steer that towards a reconstruction of relationship with the Father and a reconstruction of relationship with one another? Yeah. It's not just repentance. It's that's that's where we're shooting for, even in this time. So we lament and we are uh, we are we give thanksgiving to the end that we get to see ourselves restored to God and one another. Yeah. That's very dynamic. And I think it makes a parable live a bit more it does. probably in our experiences.
0: It does. And. And that really is our work in it, isn't it? Is that we are able to read this and, and, and to hear uh, the, all of the voices or the multi-layers in it and, and to give ourselves to, at the end of it, um, being able to say what the father has done, whether in this story or in our own time, he's done well. And he's done it for our good. And I think that's the thing that we have to be committed to. Not that there haven't been huge errors made all around on this,
2: mm.
0: but that what the God that we worship, the Father that we worship, is our sovereign Father who is dispensing all things. And we must be responding with love and humility and and grace in the middle of it and we're not all going to do that. No, I've had to remind uh, myself and our leadership team over and over that look our call is to patience in these days because we're talking we we are navigating this as people perhaps at our worst and we're we're leading people who perhaps find themselves at their most deflated and their and their worst as well. And I think then
1: if we keep the goal of restoration as the mm-hmm. all, cause I think e- equally you can say, you know, I, I just want people that disagree with me to repent and, <laughs> or maybe <laughs> I should, <laughs> right. But, but maybe that's, maybe there's truth to it, but if that's the goal, it's not what, it's right. not what Christ is calling the younger son to hear what the father will finally reveal to him. Yeah. It's about ultimately
0: reconciliation. It is. It is. It's, 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 um... Yeah, I had this whole thing that I was thinking about, you know, that we don't know all the family dynamics. And again, it's a made up story. There were no family <laughs> dynamics right. as it were. But but yeah, it's not about having all um, the wrongs righted mm. in the story. And that's what's so fascinating to me. And we'll get to that about the father's response. Mm. And it's the thing I don't I think that the son can't the, the elder son can't hardly deal with as he remains outside the feast at least at the end of the story
1: well this has been good again like like all of it it's it's it actually is fun to unpack and think through these details and be challenged in it and to see or feel maybe a little what the listeners were feeling when they heard a parable call them to account yeah and one thing i appreciate luke is the you know you can simplify these things and they do become sort of um you know sunday school you know at least the kind of sunday school lessons i had as a kid you know don't be that kid don't be that kid Uh Um, but it, it really is complex and it really cuts to the marrow and bone of what we struggle with as human beings and this creature. So, and I think, I think it, it you've helped me say you're not arriving at an answer in all of this. You're just trying to see how God is leading us through this and what he's calling us to. So I, I find that life-giving and difficult, but helpful.
0: Well, Dan, I want to say thank you for initiating these conversations and, um, you know, calling me to join you on these conversations, but I'm grateful for it because I think it does help dig down and bring out some things that, um, sometimes it's things I hadn't even considered and, and that's really helpful, but also um, the things that are there that uh, we don't really have time to get into right. in that moment. But yeah, right. so I'm grateful for you um, starting all this and leading out on this and it's been, it's, I'm enjoying the conversations.
1: Yeah, me too. It's been good for me. It really has been. And I hope it's edifying to the people. Maybe at some point we'll try to get some feedback and see if this is how helpful it is and what we can do to make adjustments to
0: it. Exactly.
1: Yeah. All right. Thanks, Luke.
0: Thank you, Dan. Friends, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. You can learn more about our church and discover additional resources on our website, wheatlandpca.org.